Our second scripture is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, do not put your sovereign God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship your sovereign God and serve only God. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. And we celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy, loving God, in a world full of so many voices competing for our attention. Quiet our hearts and minds that we might attend to your voice, your word, always leading us on toward life. Amen. I always get nervous when the devil shows up in a Bible story. Now, it may not be for the reasons that you'd guess. I get nervous because I worry that the larger-than-life image of the devil that we've created in the popular culture will suck up all the air in the room and that we won't be able to find our way to some truth and good news in the Scripture. I've shared a version of this concern before. In the broader culture, we've created this image of heaven and hell and angels and the devil that looks like this. Heaven is the place where all the good people go. It's got pearly gates and angels playing harps. Hell is where all the bad people go, a place of eternal torment with the devil and his pitchfork and his pointy ears. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's what's out there in the popular culture. You can see it on TV. We don't believe that. And it has little 
for it in the scriptures, we do not believe that only so-called good people go to heaven and only so-called bad people go to a place called hell. We believe in grace. We believe in God's love for us in Jesus Christ, God's unshakable love that saves us from everything that does us harm, and that that grace and love aren't some far-off promise. They are God's new creation, the power of resurrection alive and at work in the world right here right now and forever. The notion of a devil isn't in any way a major theme in Scripture. Something called Satan, which means the accuser, appears in a few stories. Our gospel reading today, the story of Job, you may remember, is another big one. If anything, where this Satan This accuser does appear, it's more, as one writer says, as a figure that has come to represent the personalized power of evil, the personification of evil in the world. And don't get me wrong, we may need that. We may need to be able to put a face on evil. What is real, what is a major theme of Scripture is evil. We may not talk about, may we not use that exact word, but we talk about it all the time. We see evil embedded and embodied in systems, in systems controlled by craven despots that start a brutal war that makes no sense at all, but that nevertheless lays waste to life and land. We see evil in our own systems, systems of racism that were built on the notion that people could be owned as property and even when set free, then subjugated to a lesser class of citizenship with fewer rights and less than equal protection of the law. We see evil in the continuing harms of those systems to this day. And we see evil in the harm that comes from individual action and choice. Maybe in harm we have experienced. Maybe even in harm we have done. What is? What is a major theme of Scripture is the power of evil and our moral agency to choose evil or to choose good. There are Hebrew words for that repeated across the Hebrew Scriptures. Yetzer hara or yetzer hatov, choosing evil or choosing good. Marietta Anschutz notes that evil is so big and so everywhere that maybe we do need to be able to put a face on it to speak of a devil, a Satan, a tempter. She writes that in facing the choice between good and evil, it may be easier to make that choice if we can put a face on temptation. So the invitation this morning is to enter into this scripture story however you need to. I will use the phrase, the tempter, to describe this character in this story. Matthew uses all three. He calls the character tempter, Satan, and devil, all three of them. But I will use tempter because that's substantively what evil is doing in the text, tempting. if, If it helps to put a face on evil, then by all means hear the story like that. Use whatever word you need to use. But if that's not helpful, if devil or Satan aren't helpful, be be free. Be free to hear the story how you need to. I guess I guess what I'm saying is don't the devil get in the way of hearing this story.
Now, I guess that's just me answering one of the first questions the scripture stirred up in me. What's up with this devil? There are plenty of other questions. This is a strange little story that, that prompts in me some very basic questions like, like, who's telling this story? Who told this story? I mean, if this scene is just Jesus and the tempter, who was there to witness this? Who wrote it down? It's not like the Sermon on the Mount where, where there was disciples listening, plenty of witnesses. And I know, I know that the Gospels were never intended to be journalistic reports with precise factual detail, not in the way we think of things now. They are memories and stories, communities, making sense of the way they've experienced Jesus. But I could see Jesus telling this story to his disciples. Something like this, at the start it was tough. I heard this voice at my baptism say, you are my beloved son. But then in the wilderness, there were these voices telling me what that might mean. If you are the son of God, then make and take all the bread that you need. If you're the son of God, then take charge of the world. Do as you want, whenever you want, to whomever you want. I, I could hear Jesus telling the story of the struggle like that. I could just as easily hear a community telling the story of how they came to understand Jesus. This Jesus we knew, he was both so very human and also the beloved Son of God. He heard all, all those voices that we hear, but somehow, somehow, he, he chose another way. And that's where I can enter into this story. That's where it starts to make sense to me, all those voices abroad in the world, those voices swirling in the world, so many of them, all of them speaking so loudly at the same time on television and the internet, in our national political drama, be this, do that, you're so right, you're, they're so wrong. Don't you want some power, some control in this chaotic world? Last month, I realized that I had stepped away from social media, particularly Facebook. And it's not a principled decision I made. It just happened. I'm not canceling my account. I love being in connection, seeing what's happening in the lives of people I love, reconnecting with old friends, sharing the tender moments in life and the joys. I even enjoy seeing what people have had for dinner. But there is clearly a downside and I think without, without thinking it through, I recoiled a little bit. There are the ads, targeted way too personally, urging me to buy and consume. When I started researching our last vacation, ads started popping up. Don't you need a cool new beach towel? <laughs> Creepy voices. And I have to confess, at Christmas, everybody got a beach towel in my family. <laughs> and they're the political discussions, if you can call them discussions, where I acknowledge that I am not always my best self. I can feel it in my body, my anger flaring up, the need to shout back to convince others. So many voices. And it's not just social media, it's the news in general. MSNBC and Rachel Maddow, they know how to provoke me almost as much as Fox News can. Different ways, but same emotions. 
messaging, marketing, advertising coming at us from all directions. You need to be like this. You need to have that. And maybe those voices on the outside start to feel internal, like, like those voices that try to tell us that we're not good enough, that we're somehow less than. So many voices, so much to sift through. Psychologists tell us that processing these voices is part of the human experience. It is how we live in the world. Ethan Cross calls this chatter in his book of the same name, Chatter. As humans, we are hardwired to process information along with our own thoughts and feelings and to shape it into a coherent narrative. Our gift of introspection at its best allows us to imagine, remember, reflect, problem solve, innovate, create, but it can also give rise to this thing he calls chatter when this introspection becomes a cycle of negative thoughts and emotion, rumination. I've been talking in terms of voices, plural, but Ethan Cross says it's really just one voice, our inner voice, taking in and processing all of this information, making sense of the world around us and shaping a coherent narrative out of which we hope that we can live healthy, helping lives. The challenge is making sense of the chatter. How do we sift through all that? How do we make sense of the voices? How do we ground the narrative? It is a very human challenge. And so maybe a question for us from this scripture is just to think a bit. What are the voices that you hear swirling around in the world? What's your experience of chatter? Jesus hears the voice of the tempter. It's not the first voice or the last voice in the gospel. Immediately before this story, Jesus is baptized, and as he comes up out of the water, he hears a voice from heaven say, You are my son, the beloved in you, I am well pleased. And then immediately after the story that we're looking at this morning, Jesus will proclaim in his voice, The kingdom of heaven is near a brave new world, breaking forth even now in the midst of the crumbling old order. In between those two moments, that's when Jesus hears the tempter's voice. At his baptism, Jesus hears a voice from heaven say, You are my beloved son. And the next thing you know, he's out there in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he hears the tempter's voice. I know you're hungry. If you're the son of God, take these stones and make and take all the bread you want. Jesus replies, No, a human does not live on bread alone, but on the word that comes from God. The tempter then takes him up to the roof of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. You're in control. Jesus replies, no, you shall not put God to the test. And then the tempter takes Jesus to a high mountain and says, you can have dominion, power over all this. Just say the word. And Jesus replies, no, 
It is written, worship God and serve only God. Jesus hears these voices and they are the voices of the crumbling old order, the world of power over and control. Make and take all the bread you want. It's the voice of a culture of consumption. It's just you and what you need. Consume and consume and consume until you've had your fill and then some. Don't worry about what anyone else might need. Don't worry about what it means to the planet. It. throw yourself off the temple you'll be fine that's the voice of a culture of control in this world of danger and peril control things you have the power and then all this can be yours that's the voice of a culture of empire domination and power over it's the voice that says use your power over to subdue and possess take this land no matter who inhabits it now take these bodies even though they're fully human subdue suppress dominate jesus hears these voices these voices of the crumbling old order and yet another voice rises up through them and above them all the one he just heard its echo still in his ear you are the son of god you are my beloved child with you i am well pleased you see that's that's really what's at stake here the tempter's voice is saying again and again if you are the son of god do this do that what is at stake here is what it means to be the Son of God, the beloved child of God. What is at stake here is Jesus' identity. With that voice in mind, you are the beloved child of God. Jesus listens to the tempter's voice, the voices of the crumbling old order, and Jesus says, no. No to all the bread he could consume, maybe knowing that someday he'll need to feed the 5,000. No to control and dominion over the natural world, maybe knowing that someday he will need to walk on water and calm a storm and bring sight to those who cannot see. No to domination over all he surveys, maybe with clear vision of a world that lies ahead through and beyond the cross. Jesus sifts through these voices, no, no, no. The voice he chooses here, the voice that will keep reverberating through the gospel is this, you are my beloved child. That's the story that Jesus chooses to live and to tell. And then in his own voice, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. In his book, Ethan Cross suggests a number of practices or tools to help sift through all the clutter, uh, to find and clarify our own voice. I recommend the book, but I'm not going to go into all of, all of those tools. But one stood out. He suggests that in the midst of all the clutter, the chatter, we say our own name. We say our own name. When the chatter is roiling around, he suggests speaking to ourselves in the third person, saying our name to ourselves. I love the recommendation that I talk to myself because I do that all the time. But really, to, to not use I language, but to say, Scott, 
One example he uses is that um, Malala, in her autobiography, when she confronts the Taliban at one point, says to herself, Malala, what are you going to do here? Are you going to, Malala, are you going to use the same violence that's been used against you? They've studied this. And stepping into the midst of the chatter and saying your own name, it actually helps sift through the chatter. It gives us a bit of healthy distance to look at the chatter, and it grounds our sifting in our identity. Now, I don't think I'm, I'm saying that that's precisely what Jesus does here, but something in that resonates. In the midst of competing voices, there's this sense of saying who we are, claiming who we are, and claiming what that means. I, I keep thinking about that Ash Wednesday service and that moment every year when we receive ashes and someone says our name, and then from dust you have come to dust you will return, you, you, are a beloved child of God. That moment is about who we are, our identity in God's eyes, in God's heart, our identity in Jesus Christ. Weaving all that together, what if we tried, in this, tried that in the, the first week of Lent? Try this. Think, of, think some of this week of the voices you hear swirling around in the world. What is your chatter? In the midst of all that chatter, as we ask, which voice is it? Center the voice that says this. Say your name, Rebecca, Martha, Alice. You are a beloved child of God. Claim that identity for yourself and then for every person you see. One of my best friends in seminary, actually she was our first next door neighbor, Sharon Latour. Some of you may know her and remember her. She was very active in the Presbyterian. She passed away a few years ago, far too young. Sharon used to say that for her, sin was forgetting that we are God's own beloved. Grace is God reminding, of that, reminding us of that all the time. And repentance is remembering that truth and living into it. You are God's own beloved child. You see, this, this gospel story really is not about the devil. This story is ultimately about Jesus, who he is, where he stands, and it's about us, two audacious truths about us. We are fully human and and we are the beloved children of God. You, me, everyone we meet. As we sift through the voices, may that be the one that reverberates in the life we live and in the story we tell.